In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles, the Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from Nice Bridgewater, whatever the hell that is, the queen of East Bridgewater's most haunted, the blonde bombshell herself, and... Runway Kerrigan. Well, good evening. I'm so happy to hear your voice this week. Why? Because last week, after the heartbeats, you weren't there. <laughs> I was really nervous that it was going to happen again, but whatever. Yeah, I was so glad to hear your voice during the heartbeats, too, by the way, <laughs> this week. Yay. Wasn't my no, voice. That was criticism. Oh, thanks. Hey, so what's up? Nothing. Good. What's up with you? <laughs> Me? I had actually a great day. I went out with I... the girls, and we went down to Captain Patty's. Captain and Patty's up in uh, Kittery Point, Maine. Awesome. It's a cool yes, place. I saw that on yeah. Facebook, and I wondered how your day went. It was a nice day. Oh, awesome, awesome. It's a cool place. It, it, you look at the uh, out the windows, you see uh, Whaleback Lighthouse as well as Portsmouth Lighthouse, and it's really kind of cool. In fact, we're doing a Dining with the Dead there, Jeremy Dontremont and myself, on, I believe it's April 30th. It's on the website anyways at negoesproject.com. Nice. The letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. And I understand that, speaking about uh, Dining with the Dead, I believe that Dining with the Dead at the Wyndham restaurant on Monday is uh, sold out. So awesome. if you missed your chance, eh, too bad. Uh, too bad. You don't get to see Ron. Yeah. Hey, so uh, if you lost your head, right? <laughs> yes. Would you be dead? Um, I would believe so. Really? Why wouldn't well, I be dead? Well, according to this article, uh, about uh, 16 years ago, an East Indian girl twisted his head off completely from his body. Ew. But the head refuses to die. <laughs> uh, the pe- people say the 73-year-old mystic uh, act as a, if I'm a god, but I'm not. Oh. A man uh, without a body, that's all. Witnesses say uh, he saw the enlightened one use his bare hands to remove his head and claims he didn't scream and there was no blood. <laughs> 
In fact, he quietly sat and chanted as he performed this bizarre act. His mm-hmm. body, the bodiless man added, I cannot explain what I have done to myself. I don't even know why I did it. <laughs> and <laughs> sure, drug, sure it. drugs were involved. <laughs> <laughs> it is God's will that I exist this way. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. If I was him, I'd quit while I was ahead. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, uh, what's happening with the show today? Tonight, we are going to be talking with Tim Weisberg from Spooky South Coast. Oh, cool. Those guys and, are great. I love yes, them. Yes, Matt Moines and uh, who's the other guy? I always forget the other guy's name. Matt um, Moines and... Uh, Matt Moniz. Yeah, whatever. And Matt DaCosta. DaCosta. The right. silent assassin. Yeah, right? whatever. Am I right, Tim? Hopefully he'll be here shortly. No, I see him in the chat room. I see him in the chat room. Yeah. Um, so he is coming. And he is also the author of Ghosts of the South Coast. <laughs> Tim sure. says, I'm here, I'm here. Um, and that is uh, an awesome book that you might want to pick up, and I'm sure Tim will tell us more about it this evening. Well, Tim, are you there? I am here. Hello. Awesome. How are you? Hey. I couldn't hear your heavy breathing, so I figured you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I know when to turn on the uh, the radio sound. I don't uh, I don't breathe heavy when I'm on the air. It's only when I call you personally, Ron. <laughs> or or Ian, you have to breathe heavily because we're trying to find out who the stalker is that's been calling in. So could you give us a couple of uh, deep breaths, Tim? Uh, usually, when I start doing that, I cough incessantly. So. Okay, we'll skip that then. Probably not a good idea. <laughs> so, so Tim, I, I have really an important question to ask, and and uh, I tried to get an answer last week, but I was unable. What's the story with the two bathtubs in that Kayla Alice uh, point, uh, commercial? You know, at the end of the commercial, the, the guy and the girl are sitting in separate bathtubs looking at the sunset. I mean, I don't get it. Uh, I think maybe because, you know, when you're in that kind of – pristine moment you don't want to have to share the tub with someone else that's okay. my guess unless it's charlie sheen <laughs> unless it lasts four hours or longer but whatever <laughs> anyways tim I, I do want to tell you it is a pleasure to have you aboard you guys have a great show at spooky south coast if you haven't listened to it it is live on saturday nights and um it's broadcast over the net and it's on a terrestrial station as well isn't that correct sir Yes, we try to make sure we can infiltrate your lives as much as possible. There you go. <laughs> and your website is? SpookySouthCoast.com. I have a uh, theme going here, Spooky South Coast, I see. And your book is called? Ghost of the South Coast. Oh, not the Spooky South Coast? Wow. Well, oh. you know, that's, uh, I don't want to run into any kind of copyright errors later on. So, you know, I'm trying to basically own South Coast all by myself. <laughs> Okay, so Tim, uh, how, first of all, I, w- I want to know, I know I'm sure Ann has like a thousand questions because she's a woman, they always do, um, but I want to know, how did you get involved in radio to start with, let's start with the, we won't even get to the paranormal quite yet, but uh, how did you get involved in radio? Well, it's something that I always wanted to do in my whole life. I mean, I remember when I was a kid sitting in my bedroom with two boom boxes next to each other, and I would record on one, and I'd introduce all the different uh, songs and do little bits and everything, and then I'd play the songs off of the other one. Uh, and then eventually I got a dual cassette deck, and that would, like, change my life. <laughs> but, uh, 
I always wanted to do it. Uh, my dad did it when he was in college. My uncle used to be uh, one of the top morning DJs in uh, Dayton, Ohio in the 70s. Uh-huh. So it's kind of in the, in the family blood. Uh-huh. And what happened was I was writing uh, sports for the Standard Times in New Bedford. And, well, I still do. But when I started doing that, I was writing a wrestling column. And a sports show started up on WBSM, and the host, Evan Russo, asked me if I'd come on to do a wrestling report every week. And what ended up happening is I wanted to go in there to hang out to kind of see how a radio station works. And they let me stay for the whole show, and I just ended up becoming like the third host of the program. And I did that show for about, uh, I want to say about four years. And uh, then the station manager said that he liked what I did, and you know he wanted to know if I had any other ideas. So I said, well, what do you think about the paranormal? And he said, I don't really know much about it. And I said, well, give us Saturday nights at 10 o'clock, which is like, as you know, it's like radio graveyard time. You know, they're, they're just <laughs> right. rerunning, what, rerunning the, the prior week's talk shows. So, uh, so they gave us the spot, and the rest is history. I, I mean, that's really cool. I mean, yeah. to be, be honest with you, you have a really good voice for uh, radio. I mean, mine totally sucks. Can I say sucks on the radio? Uh, wait a minute, I don't know. But any, anyways, it does, and I've been doing it for, I don't know, 10, 12 years now, but I still can't figure out why. Uh, but you, you, my friend, I admire your voice. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I, I see. I think my voice is terrible for radio, and I think that's just the, the fact that nobody likes the sound of their own voice. We can't hear right. it ourselves, and when we hear it played back, it doesn't really sound like us. Right. Really? That's true. I agree with that. Because I think the same thing about me. I'm like, why am I on the radio? Well, you do sound terrible. Well, oh, thank you. Thanks for that backup. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, yep. I'm there for you. Yeah, I know. You always are. Yep. In case that head, head gets too big, no problem. I can fix that. <laughs> Actually, I just thought of something, Ron. You did. I, mi- Go ahead. I might know who Ann Stalker is when you talk about heavy breathing. Uh-oh. Yes. Because, because those who listen to our show, uh, either on the internet or via podcast, uh, they get a much more high-quality recording than uh-huh. what goes out uh, on the terrestrial AM signal. And they, act- they always ask me, what's that heavy breathing that we hear in the background? And that's, of course, my co-host, Matt Moniz, who's... Uh, <laughs> You know, practically having a, a Valentine's Day love fest with the microphone every week. Uh, yeah. and, and so uh, that, that could be what I'll do is I'll send you a tape, Ann, of some oh, of great. his breathing, uh, you know, in between when I'm actually talking. You can kind of hear a little bit of him in the background. You can let me know if it sounds familiar. <laughs> Matt's heavy breathing, just what I always wanted. Oh, boy. I'm sure it's not the first time you've heard it. You know, he's, I'm sure he's left you many a message like that. That's right. That's right. I well, hate to say this, but I actually think that Matt's dead and he just doesn't know it. <laughs> nice. If he was dead, little... he would be breathing. Oh, that's true. That's part of not knowing it. You know, like that head I just talked about. You know, he ripped his head off his body and he still lives. So <laughs> I think that's well, what we happened. Al- to me. We always tease him and say that he's uh, that he's Bigfoot. And then uh, recently, <laughs> he grew the most uh, the most righteous beer that you'll ever see. I mean, this thing was a a, a full on. You know, like Tom Biscardi wanted to shave this thing off of his face and create another hoax with it. That's how good it was. And uh, he, he ended up shaving it off right before our, our Dead of Winter event. And I told him that, you know, people actually paid money. They bought tickets solely to come and touch the beard. Just to see him. Just to see his beard. Yeah. Oh, my God. And he messed it up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, he said he was going to shave it, and he kind of <laughs> nicked it a little, and then the whole thing had to come off. Ah, jeez. You so- guys... 
in your beard. So, you know, my husband sell, does the same thing. Wait a minute, did he sell his beard for a charity? <laughs> he, you know, he did save it. He said he had it in a bag. And I said, <laughs> what are you, like a, a three-year-old getting your first haircut? <laughs> no, man, that's that's good stuff. I mean, nowadays, you know, you can sell it in charity and, and make money for uh, whatever, you know. Uh, <laughs> Since today, since this is Women's Month, we can we'll save it for uh, you know an advancement of women in the workplace. Really? I told, you know we should probably glue it all together and like you know make Lloyd Auerbach a, a rug out of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not going there. At least I'm not. Oh my god! I know my place. So, anyways, um, uh, who are we talking to? Oh, Tim. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, well, you know we're talking about uh, Matt all the time. We know, we never get mention poor Tim. Who is the star of the show, actually? And uh, no, so, no, no. The star of our show is whatever guest we're talking to each week. Yeah, yeah. It's, there it's you go. Spoke, spoken like a true. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I mean, all right. So that's how you got into radio. How did you get into the paranormal? Well, that's a, an even more lifelong passion. Uh, for for as long as I can remember, I was interested in the. More in everything that I wasn't being told, you know, not just the paranormal, but whatever wasn't making it into my history book or whatever, you know, wasn't being the full story. Uh, and it wasn't until I had my own personal experience when I was a teenager uh, that I really started to look into the paranormal and started to eat up every book I could find on it. My aunt and uncle actually owned a, a haunted house in Halifax. Oh, sweet. And uh, when when I was younger, I would go over there to stay and... I always wondered why my cousin every night before he went to bed would push on his closet door. And he told me he was doing his exercises, but I came to find out later on it was because that door would fly open in the middle of the night. Oh so he did everything he could to make sure that it was closed uh, before he went to bed. And it, it, you basically you had every – it was like every aspect of a, of a poltergeist case. Uh, you know, looking back on it now with the knowledge that I've gained, uh, it, it looks like a poltergeist case, yet it went on for years. Wow. So it had to be something more. That's, and, that's incredible. And then okay. from there, I just, uh, you know, I, I read all I could, and I watched the TV shows and, you know, the different documentaries, and I uh, ate up every episode I could find of In Search Of, and uh, I did all that I could to to absorb information. And then when it came to the point where, you know, it was saturating reality television, it was like a goldmine for me. I, I had all these chances to experience this stuff. And so when they offered me a spot on the radio and I did a, a paranormal show, I happened to meet Matt Moniz uh, the first couple weeks into the program, and we had known each other from around town, but uh, you know, I didn't really know him that well. And he, he called me out, said, what do you know about, what, you know, what are you doing, doing a show on the paranormal? What do you know about the paranormal? <laughs> I, I said, well, I don't know much, but I want to learn. That's why I'm doing the show. And he said, I like that answer. So I'm gonna, you know, I'd like to offer my services, not knowing that all this time I'd seen him as the sound guy at the local biker bar. He was actually a paranormal investigator. And yeah. so he came into the show to offer some suggestions and I ended up forcing him to stay and you know that was five that was five years ago now I couldn't get rid of him if I tried <laughs> all right so we got Matt in there what about the other Matt we never hear anything about him what's his problem well he's been a friend of mine for uh, more than a decade I've known him uh, since we were in high school and we happened to work together in our day jobs, and when I got offered the radio show, I came in and I said, hey, you know, WBSM just said I could have my own radio show, and I knew that he had an interest in it, too, and I said, hey, well, why don't you come along and, and be part of it? And so uh, knowing that, you know, I had more of the 
tendencies of a host, and he had more of the tendencies of a technical behind-the-scenes guy. You know, he became the producer, and uh, he started learning about all that. He ended up going to Connecticut School of Broadcasting and graduating from there, and so uh, he is more involved for the radio aspect of it, but then it helps when we go out and investigate and do different events and things because he's our resident skeptic, and he makes sure that, you know, if I start getting a little bit too excited about something, he brings me back down to reality. <laughs> Well, that's that's important. Sometimes I think you need a little dose of, uh, you know, skepticism now and again. Well, know. he does also. You know, he he's pretty supportive. He he doesn't. He's not. He's not like the skeptics that we complain about all the time in the paranormal. I mean, he's not a he's not a cynic, mm-hmm. and uh, he he makes sure that he shows the adequate amount of excitement for what's happening, which right. you know, with, if you know the silent assassin, Mac Costa is the same excitement he shows for everything flat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know he'll he'll say okay yeah well but it could also be so right. you know he, he he tears it down but he builds you up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I kind of had that have that attitude as well because people to get awful excited really quick and I'm like um, you know don't you think it's this? Oh well yeah I guess it could be that. <laughs> but you know I try to be it. that way but you know how it gets when stuff starts happening. Yeah I know it's true it's true. Oh. So you've already had your Dead of Winter event. Was that last weekend or this weekend yeah. coming up? It was no, last, it was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, last Saturday week. night at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, and it was uh, it was a great time. I mean, uh, I had a lot of fun. I've we've done a few events here and there, um, but as, as you guys know, it's a learning process when you're going through this. And the, the first couple, we found that you know we opened the doors up at whatever time we'd go through the couple of things that we had planned and then it would kind of just turn into all hell breaking loose. <laughs> and uh, I know the first thing we did at Lizzie Borden's house, uh, you know, we had TV people come and cover it. So we're, we're going off to go do a TV interview while we should be taking care of our event. And, uh, we had a, a, a psychic come in and do a, a, a table tipping seance, you know? And so everybody starts congregating around that. We didn't really plan it out too well. This time we involved Jeff Belanger, uh, who oh, you- really, as you guys know, he he's uh, he's organized he's better than anybody he's I know. Crazy, he's he's oh, frightening. And oh. and he had everything between him and I. We planned everything. You know, down. Like, look at how he just walked right over there. He's like, I ain't, <laughs> I ain't even touching that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just I, I know I know he's he comes across as very loose and 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 he is. I mean, he's a very easygoing guy, but he likes structure, and that's something that I like too. And we needed to have that in place if this event was going to be a success because you've got 25 people running around what's basically just a, an eight-room uh, 10-room house. Right. Uh, so we had it planned down to the minute and it worked out great. It couldn't have gone any better. Uh, I'm very excited to see what kind of uh evidence people bring back in. We already had some pretty cool experiences happen, and I've seen a few pictures come back already that are already getting me scratching my head. Cool. That's, that's a very, very, very cool place. Uh, in fact, uh, in my book, and we'll get to your book in a second, uh, Ghost Chronicles, I think either the last, no, second or last chapter, whatever, is from the Lizzie Boyden house. And one of the most interesting things that happened there, and I can't explain, is that... Uh, we packed up and we were leaving, and I was talking to Leanne, and all of a sudden, my finger started bleeding. Oh. Which was, like, oh. really weird. So, like, she's, oh, yeah, let me get some in. And so we, we taped it up and everything else. So I went out, headed to the car, said goodnight, headed to the car, and got to the car, and then there was another finger, and it started bleeding. Oh, my and God. Like, 
Yeah, I have no explanation for what's there. So I actually went back on our door, back to knocked on the door. Got any more band-aids? Oh, when? Rats bleeding. When? When? Sacred blood. <laughs> and and you're not pl- you're not prone to to bleeding no, heavily. You no, know, you're not no. uh, spontaneous bleeding. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. I have stigmata. I just forgive. No, to mention no. That. But I'm. I mean, is it is it is it uh, is it uncommon for for you know? Are you? Accident prone? For bleeding you, uh... without cutting yourself? Yeah, that's uncommon, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would say that. What well, you, you know, it's, if it happened from your head, then I, I'd say it's definitely a connection to Andrew. You're just or jealous, Andrew. that's all. It didn't happen to you. <laughs> oh, it's, that's an excellent, uh, excellent story, but I, I can only imagine you know, how freaked out it must have made you. I don't get freaked out. I am Van Helsink. It's, oh, it's, but it's a different yeah. story, Ron, when it's your blood. No, no, no. My blood is sacred blood. They actually collected it and saved it. Like, the they followed you around with a Oh, wait bottle. a minute. Is that what was in the fridge? I thought it was tomato juice. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was the blood of the Van Helsink. <laughs> so, oh. a, a, anyways, uh, the, the event went well. And uh, what would you say was the high point? I, I, I remember seeing something on Facebook about something upstairs, yada, yada. I quite sure didn't get I mean, it wasn't there, so I didn't get the gist of it, but what would you think was the most interesting thing of the night, the dead of the winter? What, what, took, uh, what, what took me by surprise, I mean, we had the usual stuff go on, like people having their legs lifted up on the third floor and, and things like that, but uh, we were using a, an ovalis on the third floor in, in the uh, Hosea Knowlton room, and I was doing my usual Hosea Knowlton? Huh? Hosea Knowlton? Jose Jose Knowlton. Uh, each room in the house is named after somebody involved in the case, um, uh, and so this is. It's actually a lot of people call it the chimney room, and it's. Uh, if you've seen our video where the camera moves at Lizzie Borden's on its own, and that happened oh, yeah, in that yeah. room. There's supposedly the spirits of little children that are in that room, and the former caretaker haunts that room. Uh, so it's 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 a pretty active location, and we were in there using the ovalus, and I'm I'm provoking uh, whatever spirit we were talking to, and. At the very end, we're like, okay, well, do you have anything else to say to us? And it spits out the word middle. So we say, middle what? <laughs> and then very, very brief pause. It says, finger. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Pretty darn cool. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, all right, well, if that's how you feel about me, then uh, at least Back I know. <laughs> and I know wow. they did have the new Spiricom device. Jeff was running that down in the John Morse room where Abby Borden was killed. A- any luck with that? Mm-hmm. From what I understand, nothing really came through. Um, uh, Jeff worked with it quite a bit before he brought it to the house, and he said that he he really sees how um, you know the voices come through. He understands how it works, uh, but that for just that particular night, nothing really seemed to be uh, utilizing it. But we had our our Nobody shack hacks going, and you know there were so many different devices that spirits could have communicated through that mm-hmm. they might have just overlooked the Spiritcom. You know, mm-hmm. maybe. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe they were all down at the Dunkin' Donuts. Who knows? They, they might have been. I mean, we had everything that they would have possibly needed. I mean, we had coffee going. We had, you know, Matt Costa, in addition to being the producer, he was also our chef, and he put put out a, a meal, Ron, that you could hold a Dining with the Dead event. Nice. Yeah, so it was that kind of spread. and It would kill that many people, huh? <laughs> it was uh, it was the one of the finest roast porks I've ever had, chicken Ooh. marsala. Oh, it was outstanding. We, sh- we should have saved you some. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm shameless. I would have taken it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did leave a bunch of it there, so uh, see if Leanne's got any leftovers. Yeah. Now, so. Tim, how did you, Leanne is the owner, 
how did you end up on, because I know you do a lot of things at Lizzie Borden's. How did you, how did you end up there? It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a funny story because when, when we first started doing the show, we knew that Lizzie Borden's house was, you know, close by and we'd heard the stories that it was haunted. Uh, and we actually, I, I contacted, cause my mother was always obsessed with the Lizzie Borden case. So were her sisters. They always talked about the Elizabeth Montgomery movie. So it was kind of like, okay, if we could do something on this place, it would really be the local show that would get us some national attention. Right. So, uh, in the first six months of the show, I, I decided, you know, we should, we should establish ourselves a little bit and then try to reach out to the owners and see if they'll let us, you know, go in there or if they'll come on the show. And when I actually called Leanne and asked her, it was, oh, sure. You know, it was, oh. it was like every, everything I was worried about, I had no reason to be worried about. I mean, and, and <laughs> she came on the program. She came into the studio with us and said, you know, come by the house. You know, we went by the night before and we took a, a quick tour. And I said, yeah, there's no way this place is haunted. That's the feeling that I got. Going really? Away. No, oh yeah, and it wasn't until I went back the following, and that was in June of 2006. In October of 2006, one of our, our dedicated listeners, Jeanette, was coming from California to celebrate her birthday, and she rented out the entire boarding house for an investigation. She asked us to come along, and that's when I had my legs lifted there for the first time, and mm-hmm. you know, everything that happened, each time I went there, it seemed like there was something profound that went on, and over the years, we just developed a friendship with Leanne, and, you know, we invite her to all of our events, and we've done some things there, and, you know, she's, in addition to being the owner of the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast, or the operator of that place, she's also, you know, a really good friend and a really cool person, so it's one of those things where her mindset just kind of clicks with our mindset, and we both all have the same warped sense of humor. Excellent. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anybody that can uh, deal with uh, Matt Moniz on a prolonged basis like she does, you, you know that they're they're just golden as people. I'm telling you, next time you see him, poke him with a stick, really. Really? Uh, you know, I, I know that he's alive because nobody that dead could char meat as awesome as he does. <laughs> if you've ever been to one of his uh, summertime barbecues, which is like every Sunday on Moniz Island, uh-huh. uh, you know, from from March to to November, he just makes some ridiculous food. We're gonna, we're gonna have to have a, a a paranormal night at his house where he just feeds everybody. It's, it's <laughs> Is it, isn't every every night there paranormal. It, yeah, that's true too. It's certainly I mean, not normal. You, you're going down a, a long dirt road to get to his house, and there's woods all around you, and there's some guy that lives out in a trailer, and another guy that lives out in like a a little barn, and it's oh. it's just crazy. That's I mean, every great. time every when I go down there, it's like I just I expect to see the hockey mask and the uh, uh-huh. <laughs> here's some banjos maybe. And <laughs> There's a little bit of that going on down there. Anyway, we're coming up to our break right now, and you are listening to Ghost Chronicles: The Next Generation with Anne Kerrigan and Ronald J. Kolick. You know what the J stands for? Uh, I could guess. But well, like we still it. have about uh, ten seconds, so you can guess. <laughs> oh, we have ten seconds. I want to tell people we're also on the Facebook page tonight. If you don't want to go into the chat room and you'd like to comment, please do so on our Ghost Chronicles Next Generation Facebook page. Oh yeah, do that. If you don't, not there, like us and whatever. Yeah. I don't care. Anyways, um, it is uh, time for our break uh, on Tojinet, and we'll be right back after. The- Welcome to Toginet, 
Radio with a cutting edge. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. Now this Saturday morning, we're going to count them down one more time from number 40 all the way to number one with the official classic hits countdown, the American Rock and Roll Countdown. We'll count down the biggest hits of the 70s with interviews and artist information, news, weather, sports, you name it, we'll have it this Saturday morning, 9 o'clock Eastern, right here on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswalt is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Duswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Tugginet.com. With our guest, Tim Weisberg of Spooky South Coast and author of Ghosts of the South Coast. Really? Yes, really. Join, join us live in the uh, new uh, whatever it is. What is it now, Ann? The is Facebook it? Ghost Chronicles Next Generation Facebook page. Okay, uh, you, and if you have a question, you can certainly leave it there, or you can go to the par- uh, nope, nope, not the Parax tonight, the <laughs> Tojinet chat room, and uh, you can also call us right at eight seven seven eight six four four eight six nine, eight seven seven eight six four four eight six nine. So, Tim, what about this book? Well, uh, it was originally proposed uh, many years ago when I first. Pretty much the first year or so of Spooky South Coast, um, I asked Chris Balzano, you know, why don't you do an area just a book based just on the South Coast area? And, you know, he was like, well, you know, maybe you should do it. And I said, "Ah, I'm not ready for that kind of stuff. And I I kept uh, pushing at it. And, you know, you know what happened to him? He became too big time to start writing a little regional book. He became big for sure. Yeah, so uh, then, you know, I, I decided uh, about a year ago that uh, maybe I should just do it before somebody else does because I don't, I don't know if anybody would have access to as many of the stories uh, as I do. And I, it was kind of a little bit of a, a, a matter of, yeah, I mean, you know how it is when you're trying to get information about a case. Uh, you know, people might not always be forthcoming with you, but when I say I'm from the Spooky South Coast radio show and they realize that I'm a local person, you know, they might be willing to give me a little bit more information than they would to just some, you know, random ghost author. So I started, uh, I proposed it to the History Press. They liked the idea. I started working on it, and, uh, you know, I just started to realize just how much not only how much paranormal stuff was around here, but how much interesting history was in this area. And it almost became where the 
the, when I handed in the book, I started to worry that there was more history than there was haunts. <laughs> and the, the editors said that they had no problem with it. And the, the reaction when it went out and it hit the stores was everybody said, you know, I, I really like the history. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd heard the go, a lot of the ghost stories on your show or read them on your website or on Chris's site. Uh, but it, when you're able to tie it into why it might be and you realize just how strange things have been here pretty much since the beginning of time, <laughs> it, it starts to all make sense in a broader uh, broader scope. Right. The, the history, I mean, I just, it all goes hand in hand, the history and the hauntings. Especially have, when... You know, one yeah. without the other. In, in, in Massachusetts, for people who are outside of you know the New England area, they might not have the same understanding that we do of the paranormal. You know, we always say, "How come all the ghosts that we encounter seem to be old ghosts?" You know, they're never people that died in the last ten or twenty years. And in this area, we're getting you know as far back to you know Native Americans that were here before the English landed. So uh, we've got that benefit of being in the oldest part of the country, and that comes through in a lot of our hauntings. Right. Absolutely. That's, I mean, it seems like wherever you go in New England, you know, I mean, historically, it's got to be there. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what's like the coolest story in the book? I mean, historically-wise. Uh, we'll, well, we'll talk about spooky-wise in a minute. Go ahead. Some of the, the history that I didn't even realize was... Uh, Things like, you know, we always hear the stories about uh, how the Native Americans worked out land deals with the settlers, and they thought it was funny because, you know, in their eyes, nobody could ever own the land. So uh, when I actually had from the town histories and from the town charters what it was that the Native Americans were paid for some of this land, I laughed uh, because the, the entire Freetown purchase, which is, you know, we're talking everything from Westport, Fall River, Asonet, Lakeville, all this area area that takes up a, a vast portion of the south coast was, uh, you know, pretty much traded for a bunch of pots and pans, some furs, uh, a couple of shirts, a couple of pairs of pants, some socks, boots, and uh, the most important part of it was uh, forgiveness of a drinking debt that Massasoit had occurred in one of the colonists' uh, taverns. So... <laughs> <laughs> and basically, I think the Native Americans were, were more than happy to get rid of that area because we're talking about the land that the Freetown State Forest is on. You know, we're talking about a big portion of the Bridgewater Triangle. So we're talking about land that they didn't even touch because they knew what was there. And they, they must have been laughing, thinking, you know, how could the colonists give up something so valuable for, for land that they're, you know, they're not even going to want to stay on? And... Well, what people might not realize is Freetown's strange history, you know, isn't just limited to, you know, what's gone on in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years with the, the cult killings out in the forest and everything. Uh, they actually have this, the distinction of being the only town, the only township, I guess you would say, uh, that at that time didn't have a... Uh, priest in their church. Well, it was part of the, the rules of Massachusetts colony that if you wanted to uh, incorporate a township, you had to have a priest, a preacher, some, somebody who was the religious head of the town. And Freetown actually drug their heels on it for about 30 years and said, uh, you know, we'll get one. We're in the process. We're looking. We're trying to find the right one. Because part of the idea of Freetown was they were going to be free of the rule of the other towns, and they were going to actually have their own way of doing things. And finally, when the state law came down on them, and they, well, the colony law came down on them, they had to get one. They finally did hire one, but they told him that they weren't going to pay him, they, that he would live off of whatever 
donations they would make in the church, which is funny because uh, that was also against colony law. You had to pay them as part of the deal. So right from the beginning, Freetown was kind of rogue in the way that they did things. What is the most scariest story in there? In terms of truth, I would say oh, that... We don't the, care about truth. We just want to be scared. Well, <laughs> things that I can verify, I'll say. In terms of uh, verifiable phenomena, um, even though it didn't scare me when it happened, what might put a chill down people's spine are some of the stories that come out of Lizzie Borden's. Uh, being Like when I was thrown against the wall or when I encountered the, the shadow figure down in the basement. Uh, I have a whole, like just like you, I have a whole chapter just on Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast. Uh, those are probably, when people read those, that's going to be the, the creepy factor for them. Uh, me, my skin crawls when we're talking more about aliens. I don't really like, I mean, I, I believe that they're out there for the most part, Ooh. but I don't want to encounter one. And when I started hearing well, stories we have Obama. People... <laughs> That's true. When I started hearing, I think Charlie Sheen might be one of them too. When I started <laughs> hearing uh, stories about some of the UFO sightings that happened in Rochester, which is just one town over from me, you know, that started to, to make me a little bit more concerned. And then I started looking up at the skies at night when I'm out there. And, uh, you know, we're not alone, and I, I'd like to think that I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> So, sooner or later, they're gonna they're gonna land in the back, you know, in my backyard, and they're gonna say, "Take us to Matt Moniz." <laughs> See, I'm not worried about that. So, no, no self respect. An alien would come visit me. Uh, that's that's I probably right. true. I think you're right, Ron. I know I'm right. Um, uh, Jim, do you think that? I mean, we've all been. I mean, at, at one point in time. Probably, you know, it was a pretty short time ago. All this paranormal stuff was just so new and so exciting, and Ghost Hunters was new and all that stuff. But, um, I mean, we've been at this a few neat years now, and do you think the industry has changed since, you know, that initial kind of boom? Well, I think it definitely has. One of the things that we've been both praised for and criticized on our show is uh, that we – you know, we, we don't buy the PR that comes out of these uh, paranormal television shows. I mean, even though we've gotten friendly with a lot of the people that are on them, we've made sure that we've kind of kept a, a skeptical eye on a lot of the things that go on. And one of the things that I've noticed is as the years have progressed and as there's been more competition uh, in terms of paranormal reality investigation programming, there's more dramatic effect to what's going on. And there's more, uh, you know, pretty much every time now, before a commercial break, either Jason or Grant or both has to say, what was that? <laughs> what was that? And, and everything that Ryan Buell encounters has to be a demonic. I mean, everybody's got their little niche thing that's working for them. And right. I'm not saying they're faking anything. I mean, I'm just saying in terms of the presentation of, of what they have, it used to be that the evidence was enough to draw people's attention and to get them to watch, or right. either the evidence or the, pro, uh, the potential for evidence. Now it's turned into more of something about personality. You know, now it's about the quote-unquote characters that are on these programs. So now that's just as the idea of paranormal investigation filtered in to the uh, to the investigative world of the, you know, the regular non-television people, now we've seen the idea of developing a character has also kind of infiltrated the regular everyday paranormal groups where now we have people who are specialists in every group. Now we have somebody who's the, you know, the uh, demonologist for a group and another person handles the cryptozoology. And what's happened is we've seen every 
paranormal group that's out there try to model themselves as if they're getting a TV show. And everybody talks about the new the pilot that they're filming or the possible deal that they're working out. And I think when all that stuff starts to go away and everybody gets back to the root of well, what's causing all this, I th- you'll see a stronger paranormal field. The interest is great, but now we need to get really kind of back into the actual science of it. Yeah. Well, we're going to let you catch your breath for a minute because uh, we have to play. <laughs> you know me. I, I, can, I can talk for two hours at a time. <laughs> I, I noticed that. I noticed that. Uh, but anyways, we have to play this because Ann will have kittens if we don't. And, and so without further ado, ado, let's bring on the new episode of Cemetery Tripping, and we'll be right back. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where in each episode I will feature a different cemetery that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. You can see my cemetery pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. This evening I'd like to talk about Old Deerfield Cemetery, which is a very interesting and historic cemetery dating back to 1703. The cemetery is in a location that Native Americans also used as a burying ground, at the end of Old Albany Road next to Deerfield Academy. There is a burial mound marked the Dead of 1704 that covers the mass grave of the settlers killed in the February 29, 1704 attack on the village by 200 to 300 French soldiers in the Indian cohorts during Queen Anne's War. The Marauders massacred 56 men, women, and children before taking 112 villagers captive and forcing them on an unforgiving 300-mile winter march to Canada. 21 people died on the tragic journey. One particular stone in the cemetery is erected for the family of James Corse and shares the details of how this massacre destroyed their family. Another stone of Abigail Williams is also very unusual in that it has a carving of the face of a clock. I have only found this design on one other stone in my travels, and it is not one commonly found in New England. It is symbolic of silence, absence, and finality, as well as representative of the changes in human life. The hands are set at 6 o'clock, possibly showing the rebirth and resurrection for 6 a.m., or the end of life for 6 p.m. Other unusual stones in the cemetery feature carvings of coffins, representing mortality. This symbol was most often used in the 17th and 18th century in New England. A very sad marker was that of Mary Harvey, who died in childbirth at age 39, showing a carving of a mother and child in the coffin, with the epitaph, on her left arm lies the infant, which was stillborn. Historic Old Deerfield makes a wonderful day trip, as you can also tour the 11 house museums that make up the town, in addition to visiting the cemetery. There is plenty of on-street parking, and you can also stay right in the village if you'd like, at the Deerfield Inn. Visit www.historic-deerfield.org for more information on this quaint village, where the echoes of the past can be heard every Can you finish the words? Like, pretend it didn't stop. Just keep going. Quick, quick, quick. Anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles, the next generation with Ann and Ron. And our very, 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 very special guest is Tim Weisberg. Weisberg. Did I say that right? Tim Weisberg of Spooky South Coast and author of the book of the Ghosts of the South Coast. It's the, uh, the, the number one selling book out of the trunk of my car. Awesome. It's only because you don't have mine there. <laughs> I sold. I sold out of yours. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking, you know. Speaking about your book, uh, Tim, where can people get it? Seriously. 
Well, we uh, we definitely carry it uh, on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, if you go into the Spooky store there. Uh, and if you want to get a signed copy, just send me an email, and I'll, I'll take care of it for you. But uh, it's also in you know, all the major bookstores. Uh, I, I guess if you can find a Borders that's still open, you can find it there. Is one of the there was one right here in my own town of Wareham, but that one's yeah. closing out. So no, I, already... we, I wasn't staying because we're spot up here. Well, there you go. <laughs> we read. Spot. We got books. And uh, <laughs> I was going to say, you can also get it at Baker Books in Dartmouth and the uh, Sea Witch in Fairhaven. They always keep it in stock. So And Collective Souls in a Kushnet, if they don't have any, uh, just they'll, they'll be sure to contact me and I can drop some off. I love that name. Collective it's Souls. It. It's a great place. It's actually on a haunted location itself. I don't know if I'm supposed to uh, reveal that uh, or not, Ooh, but we had a reveal here. You just did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, they've they've got a good history, uh, and uh, it's it's a really just a, it's a fascinating store. The the different stuff that they have in there. I'm not trying to plug any any particular store over another, but it's uh, it, it's just really cool when you walk into some of these metaphysical shops. Just the the aura that's in them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so much different than walking into some place else where they're just trying to shove a product down your throat. There, they're really concerned about you know helping you with whatever it is right. you need help with. Yeah. Where is that? Is that that's a where again? Collective Souls is in a cushionet. A cushionet. A cushionet. I just what love the name. It's so what, creative. A cushionet. If you're familiar, you must be familiar, of course, with the Samuel West House in a cushion, which Chris has written about, and I don't know if you guys have had a chance to investigate there. I know uh, Mike is in the chat room, and he's been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Collective Souls is actually located just a, a few hundred yards from there, so oh, it's, nice. it's like a nice little paranormal spot. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, Mike has told me um, about that location. I believe it's in his book, I believe. I'm not sure. Um <laughs> Come on, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. What's the name of Mike's book, Ian? Uh, It is EVP (laughs) Massachusetts. Thank you. Massachusetts Ghostly Voices. It's right here on my shelf right next to me. There you go. Hey, comes close. with a, comes with a CD and it's, it's not it's, right in front of me. Sorry, <laughs> it's, I, I never go anywhere without it. I keep it, uh, and I'm contractually obligated now to carry all the Belanger's books with me wherever I go. Oh, oh God, no! Wow, he has so many of them. You know, <laughs> no wonder your trunk is full. <laughs> no, no, no. He's uh, he's he's great. I mean, and just the 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 stuff that he did for uh, for the Dead of Winter event. I mean, I you know he's a big star in the paranormal, and I never thought I'd have him actually deliver. Oh my God! Speech. Don't say that. Well, he yeah no, he's a legend his in his own. Big enough. Oh my God. <laughs> So, you know, we had him delivering people's food to them and, uh, you know, Good. cleaning up cleaning up dirty dishes. So, you know, right. we could, you know. he did that. I, I agree right. with you. Good job. Yes. He's got to get grounded, that boy, right? <laughs> God. You know, he used to call me once a week. He never calls anymore. Aww. You don't Poor love me. Baby. I think he just thinks you're too busy to take his calls anymore, Ron. I am usually, oh. but that's besides the point. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Tim, you actually did an event at a place that intrigued me because they had contacted us to, to go down there, and we never were able to, because you guys are, like, way north, way south of us, by the way. Uh, and that was the Watertown Cafe, I believe it was. Yeah, Water Street Cafe in Fall River. Yeah, there you go, mm-hmm. the Water Street Cafe. How was that? You know that was uh, that was another one of those events where uh, it's kind of similar to what you do, where we you know it was about the meal and about the lectures more than the investigation. But we did work a little bit of investigation into there. Uh, I've been told that there were a few 
experiences. I didn't go on the investigation myself. I was busy running stuff upstairs. But there was a few personal experiences that happened, but not a lot of evidence. But we've got plans to go back there and do some other events because oh, cool. I had an experience while I was in there. Uh, when I first went to meet with the owner about doing the event there, she was telling us a story about some angels that were up over a counter, uh, some wooden angels, and she's pointing to them. And I could actually see out of the corner of my eye a woman come and stand next to me mm-hmm. and look up at them too. And so I just figured because the dining room was open that it was a diner or a waitress waiting to get by. And when I turned to look, there was nobody there. So I was like, wow. And then I find out later that there's actually a woman that haunts the dining room uh, who was there. I think she passed away in the 70s. So she's been haunting that room ever since. So they they seem to think I made a connection with her. So it's interesting, uh, Tim, and, and I'm going to ask you about this, is you have been investigating for quite a while. You, you, you know, certainly delve right into the uh, paranormal. Do you find that since you've been doing it, you have more and more experiences and, you, and the spirits tend to know who you are and, uh, you know, on, the, on that same level? Well, at the boarding house, they definitely know who I am. Uh, <laughs> I've made sure that, uh, you know, I don't let them forget. But uh, I find that it's almost to the point where I get worried because, you know, when we go and do an investigation, we're presenting the results of that publicly. And I start to get worried that people aren't taking us seriously as investigators when every, it seems like every time we go somewhere, something happens. And so you start to be concerned that maybe people think that you're reading too much into things or, God forbid, you're faking things. But uh, I think what it is is they realize that, you know, when they come and talk to us, they're going to get the word out there somehow. And maybe that's, you know, maybe it's because we do radio. Maybe it's because we're tied into the community enough to get information out there. But I know that if I go and stop at a a cemetery and run my tape recorder, there's a good chance I'm going to get something. Some people, some people wait their entire careers in the paranormal to get a really good quality class A EVP. And, you know, we, we can go anywhere. It seems like these days and, and capture at least something that makes you scratch your head. And, you know, I'm no, Mike Markowitz when it comes to that stuff. I don't walk out with hundreds of them, but I can usually, <laughs> I can usually get at least you know, one or two things that make you say, all right, you know, this, this might be something happening here. Yeah. Mike's an EVP magnet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like me. Every time I go by the cemetery, I wave to all my fans. <laughs> <laughs> now, but, what, what about Tim? Um, I mean, I went to a great presentation that you had down in Wareham at the, uh, near the Faring Tavern with the Wareham Historical Society. Um, anything going on down there? What's going on down there? Oh, I've been working with the town now since uh, since even before that happened. But we've got to get that place opened up to the paranormal uh-huh. community because it's mm-hmm. we conducted the the first ever investigation there. There's been I think two since then uh, of people that we work with, and. It, it seems like there's uh, tons of activity waiting to just be discovered there, mm. and I think it'd be a shame to to let it sit there and not get people in there for the history of it. It's such a fascinating historical spot. It's the first chapter in my book, uh, well, the first location in my book, and to me, it's just a shame that even school children in Wareham who are forced to go on the tour as part of their curriculum, you know, now because <laughs> of budget cuts, they can't get in there, but, you know, when I was growing up, everybody had to go there, and... Uh-huh. They just, they don't care. They don't care about the history. But when you start telling them about the ghosts, yeah. then they start to pay attention. So we're Ooh. trying to work out something where we can get that place, the uh, historical nail factory across the street, as well as a couple of the other historic buildings they have right in walking distance there, mm-hmm. kind of opened up for one big night. And it would be something that would help benefit the town and the historical society as well. 
No, that would be tremendous. Very cool. I mean, imagine how much money they could get for the Historical Society. And the, the sad you know? thing is, is the town actually bought that nail factory that's across from the tavern. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to waste because they haven't been able to decide what it is that they want to do with it. <laughs> and yeah. they, they've taken different proposals, but nothing has really seemed to pan out. So I'm trying to convince them, hey, mm-hmm. while it's sitting there empty, I'll get everybody to sign an insurance waiver. You know, but we can get some money per person to let them in there. And mm-hmm. you, you, you can get the chance to actually uh, generate a little bit of money off the paranormal. And, and you know, they're finally starting to be receptive so i'm hoping to have some some pretty uh pretty good meetings coming up uh, in the spring and, and get get both places opened up i actually want to bring something up about that now when i first started the the, the group uh there were probably maybe well maybe exaggerating a little bit but say two dozen in the country but you can find two dozen groups in, a, in any city alone and is that good or bad? I mean, you, you, if you were a paranormal investigator, you could get into a location you, really easy. Now it seems to be more difficult. Uh, uh, a lot of people want to charge you to get in. Uh, this, uh, I don't know. Is this good? It, it, you know, there's so many groups out there bringing up so many, so much stuff, and I don't know. That's what I'm trying to find out. Is is this all good or is this bad or or what, what's the story, Tim? Well, the metaphysical answer to that question is it's great. The more people there are paying attention to this type of phenomena, the more it's going to happen, the more energy we're going to give it, and the more open-minded people are going to be to receive the evidence that we do present. Uh, but in, from a quote-unquote business sense, and by business I mean being able to operate your own group, uh, you lose the... Uh, sense of community that you once had. I mean, sure, the community's built, you know, there's more contacting, more networking than there was before, but you lose kind of the oversight that you had of the community back in those days when you knew there was only a, a couple of dozen groups and, and people built a reputation for themselves. Now there's so many fly-by-night groups, there's so many, you know, teenage kids that decide to form a group right. that they go into places and they end up building, uh, they don't realize that when they're going there, they're not just representative of the catchy acronym that they put on their t-shirts they ordered off Cafe Press. They're actually <laughs> representative of the entire paranormal community, and the entire paranormal is the science. And if they're not taking it that seriously, and they're not, you know, having that kind of uh, uh, kind of respect for it, then they're they're doing a disservice to the field, and then it's going to end up hurting groups like yours when you do try to get into places. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not concerned about my group, but I, I'm just thinking, you know, the serious paranormal investigators and, mm-hmm. and the thing, and, and the and all these shows. I mean, there's a ton of shows on now. I mean, once again, there, when it first started, there were, were only a couple of them out there. Uh, you know, I think the Ghost Hunters one, uh, Chris Fleming's uh, was out there at that time. Maybe Patrick Burns is, uh, of course, most haunted, and um, that was about it at that time. And there's a ton of them out now. All these shows, is it good for the paranormal community, bad for the paranormal community, indifferent, or you really don't give a shit? Well, I think that, like, you know, it's the same type of thing that the more attention we can get paid to it is great, but the more TV shows that keep popping up, the worse it's going to become because the TV shows need to have something to differentiate themselves from every other TV show like it. And, you know, a lot of people say that it's, it's like, uh, you know, just like a scripted show. You have to find your own characters. You have to find your own storylines to follow. But it's not. It's, it's almost more like, it's more like a sport when you look at it uh, in terms of television. It's like, you know, Ghost Hunters is the NFL, 
And so they've got their you know, built-in huge audience. And now everybody needs to find something different. So you're getting to the point now where some of these TV shows are like the XFL. You know, <laughs> we practically got Vince McMahon <laughs> starting to football. football. <laughs> So, I mean, that's, that's the, what ends up happening is you digress into that. You know, now it's just flashy television and the substance is gone. Well, Tim, I hate to tell you this, but we've run out of time. You've been uh, awesome I, hear, guest. I hear that a lot in my life, usually from my doctor. Yeah. I usually hear that from my wife, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> that's your 10 minutes. See you next year on the anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Tim, we want to thank you. We've been speaking with uh, Tim Weisberg from uh, Spooky South Coast. Great radio show. It's on Saturday nights live, which is awesome. And I think you web, what do you call it, streaming as well. It's it's kind of great. He's got a book out called Ghosts of the South Coast. So uh, check him out. And the website is Tim what? SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'd love to have all the fans of Ghost Chronicles to come and join us in our live chat room every Saturday night, just like you guys have running. Uh, but we also put the the video from what's going on in the studio, which for some reason people like to watch. I think it's because, you know, there's a good chance that you can catch Matt Moniz picking his nose. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, speaking about video, we're supposed to be doing this thing for Ghost Chronicles International. Um Ian Lawman from the UK is being buried in a coffin, and he's, we're going to broadcast from inside the coffin. Ew. So, oh yeah, so that's Ooh. April first, believe it or not. <laughs> oh man, excellent! I love it. Yeah. So, anyways, Tim, thanks an awful lot for coming on the show, and uh, you know, if you ever need a guest sometime, I'm available. Nah. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank right, you so thanks. much, Tim. You got to talk yeah. to Chris Balzano, though. He's our content director now. Oh, oh really? Oh, oh, that's right. Now I got another ask. The- Oh, can I say that? No. Be good. Okay. Too late. Oh, That's all right. You late. can say kiss. <laughs> all right, Tim. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Well, uh, looks like another show's out on tubes, huh? Oh, yeah, it was great. Flew by. Uh, I, oh, I do want to mention uh, two things. First of all, uh, May 5th is uh, a special thing at the Tenney Gate House for uh, um, one of the schools in town. Uh, it's run by the Essex County Ghost Project. You can go ghost hunt for 10 bucks family of 425 so check that out and time to say good night god bless you from ghoulies to ghosties i said you said you would always stay